uh, that uh, over the next few weeks in reference to our, our bylaws and our statement of faith, um, one should be able to come into the church and hopefully, again, as, as you come to a congregation to, to meet uh, and, and fellowship together, uh, we, we, we look at, at, at how do we decide where it is we're going to go. And if any of you have uh, ever gone looking, I know many of you have, looking for a new church, uh, uh, maybe you've moved to other situations, but you, you end up, you know, how do you decide? Well, do I just go where uh, my friends go? Well, well that, that might not be a bad place to start, but that doesn't mean that it's the place that God's going to put you. Uh, maybe it's because you've been in a, a church all your life and there is no other place you, you know, you've been, so you're just going to stay there. I recall a, a congregation that I uh, knew in Southern California where uh, the only reason that they were still open was because the, of extended families. It was a very family congregation. There's about six families with about four generations each, and uh, it, 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 you know, it, it filled a, a quarter of their sanctuary uh, every Sunday, but that was, it was strictly very much, once you got involved there, you could see it was very much a family-led church. <laughs> I don't know how. It's a member from each family made up the board uh, and uh, that type of thing. So, uh, and you, what you, you start to look for is, well, okay, what's preached? What song, for that matter, is important? Uh, are the songs uplifting? Are they consistent with the Word of God? Uh, do they draw you into worship? This type of thing. Uh, some people really, really like the old hymns. Huh, Kay? <laughs> Kay and I love. We we talk about old hymns all the time, and and. Uh, at the same point, there, there's so many new songs that are so powerful that you, you, know, you want to bring a combination, if, if you will, of those things together, which I think we've done pretty well over the last few years of, of having the hymns as well as the, some of the contemporary coming together. But the idea is, is the worship is, is, is edifying. It's interesting because we've had... Gosh, just how I, I put things here. We've had the Pope here, and not here. Uh, we've had the Pope in the United States for, for the last week. And that has brought an amazing focus on church. Uh, I've, I was quite surprised at the number of, of uh, you know, presentations that various ABC, CBS, NBC. And of course, uh, and, and, and maybe it's because I'm not Catholic that I, that I don't completely get it, but I just was a little frustrated that every time I turned on the news, I was either looking at the Pope or looking at Hillary Clinton, uh, and, and, you know, um, you know or, or something about politics, and I'm thinking, my goodness, the politics side of it, you know, we've got a year and a half to go, you know, a, a, you know well, a year to go anyway, and I'm thinking I'm already tired of it. Uh, and I, I, I'm concerned in that sense that we will cause such an apathy by the time it gets here that it might not do well for us. But coming back to the Pope and the talking about church, of course they talked about the Catholic Church, and it was interesting because a number of the documentaries or, or, or discussion things that they were doing were talking about the decline of the attendance in the Catholic Church over the last few decades. 
and the attempt of, of trying to uh, re-identify the Catholic Church without losing its foundational doctrinal positions and things. And uh, it's interesting to, to hear, to see a, uh, uh, a priest stand up uh, who's part of the, the Pope's enclave here in the United States, uh, stand up and say, oh yeah, we don't have any problems with homosexuals in the church as long as they don't practice. And he, they, he's saying that's what the Pope was alluding to in a statement he made a, a, a few months ago. And I, I, first off, I don't know that that's what he was alluding to or not, but the reality is, is that, does that you know, that's still condoning a mental assent to something that the Bible calls sin, assuming that that homosexual is desiring sexual relationships with men, or the lesbian is desiring you know, uh, relationships with women. And they say as long as they're not practicing, they're not sinning. That's not what the Scripture says. It says it starts in here. And so I have a problem with some of the things. And they, so they started using that. It was a measuring rod about what other churches, whether it's Southern Baptist or Bob Habgood. Uh, you know, they didn't measure me literally, but you know, what does that conservative person believe in this type of thing? And they were just going on and on and on. And I realized that uh, we need to define ourselves. We're in a situation in a culture and a time where if we don't define who we are, how are you going to know whether it's a place that you can be comfortable or not. And so, that, again, that's the idea of, of, of coming together, revising our statement of faith and our bylaws is to update and to, to, to point out we are a conservative, theologically speaking, conservative, believing, Bible-believing, Bible-thumping in that sense, believing this is God-breathed group of people who uh, worship the Lord, who are, are traditionalists in, in the sense of marriage. We, we, we see Adam and Eve, and from that point on, man and a woman brought together in, in marriage. No other alternative. That's the place for sex and that alone. You know, we're, we're, we're conservative people. And so we spell that out in our bylaws a lot more clearer now than we, than we did before because it wasn't such a big deal before. But it's becoming a big deal. And I didn't. I, I even realized it more as I watched all of this stuff. You know, people really don't know how to talk about church unless they are, you know, seeing something that, and they're going to challenge you. Are you one of those? One of what? Those people who believe that this is the only word of God? Yeah, I, I, I are one. You know, um, are you one of those who say there's no other way but Jesus Christ? Yeah. Are you one of those who say? That, that there's only uh, uh, sex between a man and a woman in marriage. Yeah, I am. And so we, we look at these things and, and, again, spelling it out. Well, as you go to our statement of faith uh, and we talk about membership, one of the first things you're gonna, that you need to address is how does the congregation, the fellowship that you're visiting, or how do we here address uh, the Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures? And I would like to talk a little bit about that this morning. Uh, this morning we, we read from Psalm uh, 119, the opening scripture. And the first uh, few verses, verses 1 through 6, uh, are declaring God's glory basically in the context of a general theme of, of the world, the heavens. Declaring His His, his, his 
You know, and it's like David you know, frequently will say something to the effect of looking, looking up at the heavens, it's an amazing thing to think of God and all, all the creation that He even cares about us and, and this type of thing. But the reality of, of, of Paul even saying, in nature we can see that there is a God that has put it together. And the more science grows, the more it becomes obvious. Isn't it interesting? The more science finds out about how we're made, how the cells come together, and all the other things over the last few decades, stuff that wasn't even talked about when I was in, 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 in grammar school and junior high and high school are being talked about now that, that show all the more that there has been an intelligent designer. And I come back to the teacher that I had in high school. didn't catch it. I didn't really understand it. But he says, if the intelligent designer is the one that put it together, then the next question is, who put the intelligent designer there? He must be, and he phrased it that way, he must be forever. He must be eternal. And uh, again, I, I, I could accept that. that you know, he didn't, and he didn't get down to the Jesus Christ. It turns out later I, I found out that, that Dr. Blodgett was a Christian. But, but I, 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 and, and, and here he was, a Christian who believed in creation, and he was a science teacher in high school. Uh, and you could do that back then. Um, and, and so the overall picture is, is the, the Psalms talking about the first few verses that there's an obvious glory of God that is, is revealed in the heavens and nature. And then the next seven or eight verses, well, 7 through 14, uh, talk about the law of the Lord. And the law of the Lord, uh, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. Uh, and it says his, uh, all of this is His Word. Okay, uh, it, These things, the law, the testimony, the precepts, the rules, the commandments, are perfect. They are sure. They are righteous. They are pure. They are true and righteous altogether. And so, David is making a comment that's uh, quite clear in reference to the Word of God that, you know, this is what is truth. In fact, David says, and, and I, I've, I know I reference this very, you know, frequently, but uh, it's Psalm 1 uh, where, where David talks about uh, a person who is actually uh, blessed by, by God. He, said, he starts out with, Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of uh, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, he does not stand in the way of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law he meditates day and night. Referring to the Word of God up to the point that David had it. And, and so what David is looking at is, is he's saying, this is, this is how a man is blessed. He doesn't look to the world for his counsel. He looks to the Word of God. And... He, he, you know, he even has a, a progression here. You know, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. And we'll inverse this for a minute. Just look at it from the opposite way of looking at what it's written. If you do walk in the counsel of the wicked, what's likely to happen? You're going to end up standing in the way of sinners and ultimately seating with those who mock God. Okay, he's saying, blessed is the man who doesn't even begin with getting his counsel from the, from the world. He gets his counsel from God, from the Word of God. Somebody says, well, does God's Word cover everything? In a general sort of way, I'm going to say yes. Does it specifically cover what color you're to, to buy for clothing? No. Uh, does it tell you what wallpaper to put on your, your bathroom? 
Well, and, and, and I started, I was just going to say no, but that's not necessarily true. And that same thing with addressing. God does give us a general code. And the reason why the wallpaper just popped into my mind, which is, you know, that dangerous thing with me preaching in rabbit trails, uh, is that I recall before I was a Christian, one of the things that actually irritated me, uh, I was helping out a friend who had a, a paint store, he, and, and she came back with her, her wallpaper, and it was the wrong pattern, the wrong set of colors. It was the right pattern, but the wrong combination of, of colors in the pattern. And she was really upset, and, and so we went back to the book, and, you know, wallpaper books, you've got to know what you're doing. You, sh- you should get some help before you go and order it, because some of the wallpaper books, you look at this page over here, and you see it, then the, the, the number is on this side. And then in the next wallpaper book you look at, you turn it and the number's on the back. You know, She'd ordered, the, it was what she had ordered. She, we didn't get it mixed up. She ordered the wrong stuff. She says, oh, well, then if I, it must be what God wants me to have. The, the, the thing that bothered me about that was, well, what if it had been, and there, were, there are wallpapers that are obscene that you can buy for your, your room. What if it had been one of those? You know, would she, would she have still felt that way? I, you know, I don't. You know, God isn't concerned about the the, the color patterns of, of your wallpaper. He's concerned whether you use one of those obscene ones or not. Yes, yeah, so you see what I'm saying? Is we have a general rule of thumb that says is something offensive to God or not offensive to God? And the Word gives us a good pictures of these things, and it even gives us some details about things. Be careful what you borrow. Because you now have responsibility for it until you return it. And if your ox dies while in the hands of someone else that you loaned it to, the borrower, he's plowing along and all of a sudden the ox drops dead. It doesn't matter whether it was malnutrition. It doesn't matter whether it was already diseased. It has nothing. You owe that man you borrowed from an ox. Just plain and simple. That's in the Scripture, by the way. It's one of the 600 and some things to guide by. What it's telling us is that how we interact with each other. Look at the Ten Commandments by themselves. You look at the first four, it tells us how to interact with our God, and the next six tell us how to interact with one another, and then the rest of the, you know, going through Leviticus and Numbers and other, and even into Deuteronomy, telling us how to put that together in various ways and places. So the scriptures, and then Jesus, gosh, the Sermon on the Mount, which we're 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 going to get back to, but we're been going through. He really spells some things out as to how the, the how the thinking process goes as to your responsibility and sin before the law. So yeah, we 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 look at the scripture as as pretty much what it's going to tell us how to walk and live our lives and as a Christians. And David's right. We don't want to look to the world for counsel. If we want to be blessed of God, we look to God for counsel. And as a result, uh, you can't, you know, the blessed man is like a tree who's planted by streams of water. What a beautiful picture. Because the word for streams of water there is basically the idea of, of something that has been put together specifically to water that garden, like a canal or a, an irrigation thing. It's, and so God is saying, I put you in my garden, and I'm watering you myself. You know, you're in my garden. And, and he's planted by these streams and he yields its fruit in the season. As you, you become what God wants you to be when he wants you to be it. And, and, and as a result, 
because you're yielding to that, you're resting in that, you're resting in his word, you're resting in his counsel, you will prosper. You won't prosper necessarily financially, you won't prosper necessarily, but in everything that you do, it will be accomplished as you rest it in God. And it will be accomplished according to his plan. Not always are we understanding what that means, and sometimes we're a little confused about how God's plan can, can be so different from what we think. And I finally found out and realized, uh, maybe even more so this last week, as I saw people talking about other you know, aspects of religion, that, that I am very... Uh, I, I plan and think in terms of my life and my retirement, uh, all of those kinds of things, very much like our culture does and not so much like the Word of God does. And sometimes I get frustrated, concerned, worried. And then I would say, wait a minute. What do you say? One day at a time, one day closer. How many times do I say that? You know? And the reality is, is that as I rest in Christ, it, I can be confident no matter how the plan shifts, no matter what happens, that somehow he's using all of that to bring about my development in him, my family's development, your development in him, all of that together. And we rest with that confidence. So uh, we look at the Word of God and, and we, we come to it and we say, uh, David clearly says this is the Word of God. And the question is, 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 is that consistent then to where we are today? And I, and I say, yes, it is. And, and the scripture that I'd like to go to this morning is in Second Peter chapter 1. Peter explains here, starting with uh, uh, verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Timothy, will, Paul writing to Timothy, goes on and actually uses the word that the Scripture is God-breathed. Okay? So, Peter starts out here, we didn't come to you with clever, cunning, myths, fables, stories. Now, quite candidly, I have to, to tell you that, that, that a, a big chunk of people, and sometimes even within the framework of Christian as the, as the nation as a whole defines it, which would be far more liberal than I would, um, will turn around and say... the a lot of what the Bible talks about both in the Old and the New Testament things about Jesus are more like the, the fables that, that rose up around like, gosh, even Davy Crockett or, 
or, or uh, uh, you know, uh, Daniel Boone, you know. Uh, Davy, Davy Crockett kills a bear when he's only three. You know, at least that's in a song. And uh, the question was, was the bear only three or was Davy Crockett only three? Um, but the, the, the reality is that, you know, even in the lifetime of those men and lots of other men, myths and legends grew up about who they were. Uh, they became famous, and a lot of the things that, 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 that would have made them infamous were ignored, and, uh, and, uh, and, and they became legends in their own lifetimes. Okay? And so some people look at that's what Jesus is. And so cleverly devised stories and, and enrichments and, and, and this type of thing about what Jesus really did. Peter's saying, we didn't come to you like that. We didn't come to you with stories and, and things that, that were made up by men. We actually heard and we saw. It says, eyewitnesses. We were on the holy mountain. And what he's referring to is the Mount of Transfiguration. It takes us back to Matthew. Book of Matthew, chapter three, uh, uh, 16. Excuse me, 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Can you imagine seeing that and hearing that? kind of takes us back to Jesus' baptism as well. When God said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, He thunders from heaven. Beautiful beginning idea of how to see the Trinity, the Father speaking, the Holy Spirit descending, Jesus uh, there. Obviously, there's something there about the three in one, but we won't get into that today. The idea is, is that, you know, they saw. Not only that, think of all the things that they did see. When Jesus would run other people out of a room to, and, 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 and then pray, or, or even just simply say, Arise, young girl. People say, Well, she wasn't really dead. The mourners knew what they were doing, they, you know, and, and they knew that she was dead. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being at the tomb of Lazarus? Four days dead. What they had seen, what they had heard. And yet they turn and say in verse 19, we have something more sure. It's a prophetic word. Now some say that means that the prophetic word validates what they heard and saw, but I think it's more in the terms of even more important to this, we have this. 
God's revelation, God's word, his spoken word, his prophetic word. And what we need to understand from this, especially coming in the, in the New Testament, is all of the Old Testament prophecies that, re, that, that spoke to Christ, that Jesus fulfilled. Uh, and, and we'll look at that in just a minute. So, we have something more, the prophetic word. And, and this is not from any man. Again, he emphasizes this. It's, it's, uh, it's not man's recollection of things. It's not man's ideas of things. It's not man's thoughts. Then how is it produced? How does it come together? By men who spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This idea of God breathed and, 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 and these men re, you know, uh, recording the things that they did, I'm not going to profess to tell you that I understand all of it. I come to it very strongly and first by faith with the understanding that this is the way Peter describes it. It's the way Paul describes it. It's even the way Jesus implies it because he talks about all the prophecies that were fulfilled in him when he's talking on the road to Emmaus in, in, in the Gospel of Luke after his resurrection. And it's very clear that it's all it's, it's been orchestrated in such a way that God has put it into effect. He, he is the one who brought about the Word and He is revealed in it in such a way that there, it clearly tells us who He is, what He has said, and what He expects from us. He expects for us to be holy as He is holy. That means without any shadow or hint of darkness, which is descent. Immediately we all cringe, or we should, because there's no way. But you see, Jesus came to put everything together in such a way that when He's on the cross, He takes care of it through His holiness, and He pays our price, and He says it is finished, and as a result, we rest with confidence. Is that a fable? Or is it the truth? Is it God breathed as a recounting? I believe it is. Breathed out by God, God breathed. The source of the revelation of Himself in the Bible is God Himself. Still, somebody's going to say, that doesn't prove it. And I have to agree. If you're looking at proof from the scientific methods, that you can't just sit here and reproduce it over and over and over again and say, ah, I can prove this. In fact, we can't prove history. How do we determine whether something happened or not? By the amount of evidence that talks about it. The Probably one of the most persuasive things for me as I was uh, becoming a, a, you know, heading towards uh, giving my life to the Lord and, and, uh, and after, shortly after, was a lot of the Josh McDowell information and ultimately turned into evidence that demands a verdict and, and other uh, things. And uh, that was what, how Josh McDowell came at it. He said, we, we can't prove it scientifically, like going back into a test tube or a lab or anything like that, but what we do is we look at the evidence and how it speaks. And he says, the evidence that, that, that abounds in the sense that this is God-breathed and, and God's Word 
and that Jesus is who he says he is and all of these things is so overwhelming compared to any other thing in antiquity. He says it's, it, it's so overwhelming that if it was presented in a, case, in a court case, by the way, he was a, uh, a trained legal person, okay? Uh, he says if it was presented in a, in a court case, it would come out overwhelmingly guilty of being God's word, guilty of Jesus Christ being who he says he is. Uh, you know, this type of thing. It would be overwhelming. And uh, so we look at the evidence, and we, we've already looked at what the Bible says about itself. Uh, it says that it is, but somebody say, well, you can't depend on that alone. Is there anything else that we can look at? And the very first thing you start to look for is what's called autographs, and that meaning the original text. How many original texts do we have of the New Testament, or the Old Testament for that matter? Zero. We don't have any of the autographs. For that matter, almost all of historical things, going back to whether you're looking at, at Aristotle or Plato or, or, or other things of, of, of teachings, of, of history in Rome and everything else, we, uh, the, the, the Iliad, the Odyssey, all of these things, we, <laughs> we don't have any original autographs for them either. But the interesting thing is, is that some of the closest records we have for some of the things that Aristotle, Plato, and others wrote that we take for fact when we're taught in, in school. The, 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 the closest manuscripts we have are literally hundreds of years away from the original. And only a few. And yet we build whole systems of thinking around those things. We have 5,200 complete manuscripts that we consider of antiquity in the sense of looking back at the scriptures and the, and the things. We have 8,000 partial, and we have them that go within about 35, some of them go back within about 35 years of the actual original writings. Plus, myriads of writings by church fathers who are quoting scripture, who are, are literally hundreds and hundreds of miles apart, but their writings talk about it. And when they put all of this together, they turn around and they say, my goodness, it is an amazing... I mean, it gives me goosebumps to think about it because it is so amazing. Because what they have said over and over again, you know, in the sense of here, 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 and here, when we put it together, it's, it's the same. It's an amazing thing. How accurate. And I don't, I have to tell you, I know for the Old Testament, the way it was transcribed and stuff like that, I can understand. I mean, they got to a point where they counted the letters and, 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 and if the middle letter on this original document that they're copying isn't the same middle letter on this page that they just copied, throw it away. Okay? I don't know that, you know, that that, that was taken in all of the New Testament, but the amazing thing is, is that as you look at all of these quotes and, and, and scriptures and things and we bring them together, everything that counts is identical in the sense of our faith and, 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 our, and our purpose. Ray Pritchard uh, put it this way. He says, The Bible is by far the best attested ancient book in the world. There are more copies earlier and more accurately recorded than for any other book of ancient history. And... Uh, that was the same thing that Josh McDowell was, was teaching. So, uh, 
you look at, at, at the, the next part of this and, and you say, well, there, there, is there any other things that we can look at? And, and I would like to the idea of looking at some of the things that the Bible mentions, for instance. You know, for years, as, as modern, uh, the modern way of looking at the Bible from a more liberal point of view started to turn, they, they started to turn around and say, well, there's nothing about, you know, in history about Pontius Pilate. There's not much history about him initially, okay? And, and uh, of course, more stuff has, has been uncovered over the years, but the very first piece that was uncovered was a stone tablet in Caesarea, and it guess what? It had his name and his stamp on it. And they said, oh, there is a Pontius Pilate. Okay, well, we can't use that argument anymore. Hittites, I love this one. The Hittites are mentioned over and over and over in the, in the, in the Scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, they were... You know, uh, a northern uh, Middle East uh, uh, people, and and it's mentioned battles and and and, and different things that, that that they they were in with the Hebrew people and then some of their counterparts. Nobody could find any documentation for the Hittites. You know, uh, must not have existed. And I love this one because it just shows you how God has preserved His Word and, and, and let things come to, back together. Some, and I, I believe I was told initially, and I think I read it right, if I'm recalling it right, but someone, and I think it was a young person, was walking through an area that was, had a number of tombs and stuff like that, and he literally fell through the ground into a library, an ancient library of the Hittites. All of a sudden, we knew more about the Hittites than we knew about a lot of things. I guess what I'm trying to create here is a picture that I believe in addition to everything else, God has been actively involved in preserving His Word and the integrity of it through the centuries. Not just in putting it God-breathed, but God-protected. Does that mean that there's no spurious copies of the New Testament out there that people have invented? No, there's all sorts of them. We were told to be able to be careful, be warned about them. If they speak any other gospel than the one that I've taught to you, it's anathema. Paul writes in Galatians first chapter. So is it possible that somebody's going to present another gospel that's that's untrue? Yeah. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, lots of other groups have done that and still call themselves Christians. So don't misunderstand that I'm, I'm, I'm saying, but it's very clear as we start to study the manuscripts and we put them together together over and over and over again, those who want to know the, the truth about who God is has been preserved for us. And I believe God's been actively involved in that. And then we just have, to me, what was one of the most amazing parts of this, uh, reading through Josh McDowell and, and others, was, was the idea of miracles that, that are um, uh, scriptures that were prophesied about Jesus. And that he fulfilled. And uh, I, 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 one of the guys that uh, was from uh, a uh, author of Science Speaks, um, Stone, Stoner, Doctor Stoner, uh, was was um, he came up with an, an interesting article. I've got a part of it here. It says. Uh, looking about probability and odds on different things, and he's going to get to the scriptures in just a second. But he says, being struck by lightning in a year. What are the odds? By you know some person seven to the tenth seven by times ten to the fifth power. 
Okay? Being killed by lightning in a year. Two times ten to the sixth power. Becoming president. <laughs> one by one times ten to the seventh power. A meteorite landing on your house. <laughs> one point eight times ten to the fourteenth. Or uh, and and that's like, you know, one one in 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 an eighteen with a whole bunch of zeros after it. Um, what are the odds that you'll eventually die? <laughs> one and one. <laughs> you know, uh, he was just trying to put things into perspective, I guess. Uh, but he, he, he gets involved in, in over 300 prophecies that, that were around Jesus and eight specific ones. That Christ would be born in Bethlehem. The forerunner of Christ would be John the Baptist. Christ to enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey out of Zechariah. Christ to be betrayed by a friend, Psalm 41.9. Christ to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, literally stated, uh, Zechariah 11:12, uh, 30 pieces of silver that would be cast down and used to buy a potter's field was recorded in Zechariah 11:13. Innocent, but kept silent, Isaiah 53. And uh, there's, there's one more here, Christ crucified, uh, which was known at the time that it was written in Psalm 22. And it goes on. The, in addition to those that are, that are right there, the men would be casting lots for his clothing at the foot of the cross, Psalm 22. The people would be walking around the cross mocking and saying you know, uh, various things, and, and it's recorded exactly in Matthew what those guys said. You know, uh, and all of these things. And people say, well, they, they, they set it up to work out that way. You think the Romans and the Jews are going to work hand in hand together to make the prophecies come true? Because they're the ones that were in control of that situation at the cross. You know, and, and I just look at all of that, and, and, and he's, what he does is he's, he's talking about the odds to this, eight prophecies, one to ten to the 17th, I think it is, or, or, uh, which is, again, a, a one with a bunch of, bunch of zeros after it. And he, he basically uh, said, I, I need graphics. You know, I, that, you put a number like that on the board and it just doesn't mean anything to me other than it's big. When I see the thing that's continually recording the national debt, that's, that, that's way over my head. You know, I, 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 I think in hundreds, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and so, you know, Josh McDowell gave, gave a picture for this. Cover the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. Mark 1, you know, and I, I, he just said Mark 1 with a red, somehow with red. I, I had a picture of, uh, there used to be to see, you know, how fast something's turned around in, in, in circulation. You, every now and then you used to come across a red quarter. You know, it had to do with jukebox stuff and, and, and all sorts of things. It was interesting. But, so that was, you know, paint one red and literally kind of blindly toss it in, mix everything up really good, you know, get into to, to just outside the, the, the state boundary, tie some, you know, a blindfold around a guy, and then set him in, and the first time he picks out a silver dollar, he picks out the red one. That's the odds. Of just the eight that I mentioned. And that's not even the casting the lots and this type of thing. And, and you look at this, and you're saying, God is involved in His Word. They say, and, and very clearly, I believe, with, and, and this is a point where it has to come down to faith. I believe it is God breathed. 
And I have personal reasons even for believing that because I have seen in my own life and in lives of other people that I know an amazing miracle happen where you were on this one path and it was obvious you didn't have anything to do with God. God enters into the picture and boom! All of a sudden you're on another path that's completely different than where you were going. And it's a change of life, a change of faith, a change of action, a change of, of attitude, a change of heart. And all of it comes back to where do you get the information about for that? Here. And so what do we do in our, in our statement of faith? We say, this is the Word of God. We say it is God-breathed. We are letting you know in advance what this congregation believes. Now, there may be another congregation who doesn't believe that. They'll say, this is a good rule of thumb or a good ideals to live by. But it's just the words of men. And there are people who stand in pulpit that wear the name Christian on their church that preach that. So, our statement of faith is something that we want you to look at and, and, and turn around and say, yeah, this is what they believe. Let me read to you uh, our current statement of faith, uh, which is in the current bylaws uh, that we, we, we have. And it says, section one is the first thing we address in the, in the, in, in the statement of faith. Um, the Scripture is inspired. The Scripture, both Old and New Testaments, are the inspired Word of God, a revelation from God to man, the infallible rule of faith and conduct. And we, That's it. That's all we say. Now, that's enough in the one sense to say what we believe, but it could have a little bit of meat on it. And that's what we've done with our new statement of faith. Let me read it to you. We believe the Bible is the very Word of God being produced by human authors who were inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit in its production. Then we quote the Scriptures, some of which are the ones I just used. As God's recorded Word to man, it is free from error in its original writings. Does that mean it could have a, a possible error in some future writing? Yeah, but I even see God's hand in keeping the content pure in the sense of that, even beyond that. But it's absolutely trustworthy, providing all things necessary for life and godliness. Now, a lot of times, that's where we stop. We don't talk about the Word of God much again in the Scripture. But today, that can even be misinterpreted because so many have a liberal point of view that you, you need more definition about other things. And that's why we've rewritten our bylaws. All 66 books are to be interpreted literally, grammatically, in the historical context in order to determine the original meaning of the passage. Being totally sufficient, Scripture must not be added to, superseded, or charged by later tradition, excuse me, changed by later tradition, extra-biblical revelation, or worldly wisdom. That was where Luther came in. That's a Protestant statement, basically, if you will, because the Catholic Church had all sorts of uh, traditions and, and alternate ways of looking at things spiritual. And, uh, uh, you know, in all the discussions that went on this last week, I never saw the thing. No, I never once heard purgatory mentioned. Never heard uh, the idea of earning your salvation mentioned. Uh, all the things that, that go back to Catholicism and the reason why we are Protestants. I'm not embarrassed to be a Protestant. Being totally sufficient, Scripture must not be added to, superseded, or changed by later tradition, extra-biblical revelation, or worldly wisdom. Every doctrinal formulation 
whether of creed, confession, or theology, must be put to the test of the full counsel of God in Holy Scripture. In other words, somebody has a creed and says, this is what we believe, where do we test it? Starting with, as John would, does it confess Jesus Christ come in the flesh? I just wanted to share this with you because I feel it's important that we know you know, what it is, why, why it's important that we're, we're, we're updating because I think our times demand a more clear picture of who we are and, 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 and how we identify ourselves for the sake of those who are, are, are new as well as to all of us who have been here for a while and, and, and affirming together what we believe. But, so I, I, I wanted to start with this idea. We, the Scripture is, is the, the God-breathed Word. Men wrote it as they were... Uh, moved along by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, uh, God, I believe, has done through history all sorts of things to protect His Word. you know how many times there have been opportunities uh, where, in a sense, opportunities, I shouldn't say that maybe the word, but situations where various uh, peoples, groups, governments uh, uh, had world orders in mind and wanted to get rid of this? Russia, China, uh, all sorts of other places uh, where, where the, the Word of God was banned. And they couldn't keep it out, and they couldn't keep the people down. And God kept raising up remnants of people. They destroy the Bible, and, 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 and I, like I said, the one situation, the Bible floats downstream, and some of them picked it up, you know, and, and, and realized that there's a God and got saved. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's that idea that God, you know, he's, he's taking care of us. We can be confident that when we come to the Scriptures and we read them, that we are seeing the, the heart and mind of God. To understand them requires to be saved. You do not, you know, when you come to Scripture and you're outside of salvation, you might think you understand them. And I think of a number of, of again, pastors that are preaching. I've met a few, and I've met even a few that have had a Luther experience, if you will, and turned around and started all over after 20 years in the ministry and uh, back to Bible college and getting it, you know, understanding it from the beginning all over again because they realize we've been just talking about this as a book of, of, good, of good teaching. And from a good teacher. No, this is the Word of God revealed and testified by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh. He dwelt among us. And He came with one purpose. He emptied Himself with the idea of, of, of serving us, to become a servant to men, and even to the point of death on the cross, that He could purchase our salvation because we were helplessly, hopelessly lost. That's what the Word of God says. Man, is, he can't fix it. He cannot save himself. He needs a Savior. And God says, before the foundation of the world, I had a plan. I will fix it. And Jesus, on the cross, said the words, it is finished. And it was fixed for all who confess their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
that's been fixed. You've got eternal life. And there will be a day when we sit in the presence of, of God in, 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 in a new heaven, a new earth. There will be no hint of shadow, no hint of darkness, because sin will be completely gone. And we get to celebrate that when we have communion. This is what Christ did for us. And he asked us to share in this communion until he comes again, when he'll share it with us. I believe the marriage feast. So uh, I ask the ushers to come forward, pass the communion out, hold it until we've all been served, and we'll share together.
Just as I was listening to that, I, I thought of Psalm 40 and uh, just share that with you as we enter into communion together. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He climbed to me, to me and He heard my cry. The idea of inclined is, is literally He came to me like He bent down and listened carefully. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. And He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. What a powerful picture of God's rescuing us. The pit of, uh, the pit of destruction, the pit like a miry bog. And, it's, and, and I've, I've used the illustration because I'm one who, like I said, needs pictures. But it's like when you walk into a bog. I don't know if you've ever walked into a bog or a mire. You could actually do this out in the bay when the water's out, but I don't suggest it. I've heard that there's trucks under the ground out there. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, you walk out and you start to walk in. Hopefully you've put you know, boots on. <laughs> uh, and you're sitting there and you, all you have to do is to stand there and you, you can feel it sinking. But the more you, you move, the deeper it gets. And you realize, I'm stuck. <laughs> That's this picture. You've gotten stuck in the bog and the tide's coming in. You're, about, you're going to drown. And you cry out to God. He inclines His ear. He hears us. He pulls us out of the, the, the pit of destruction. Sets us on the rock with secure feet. A rock that is secure and doesn't move. Puts a new song in our mouth. You see the whole picture of, of, of our salvation? People will hear from me with, about God. And they will fear, not meaning tremble in their boots, but fear in the sense of they will come to fear and know the Lord. That's God at work. It's what Christ has done to open up to us and, and bring to us so that we can rest with confidence in that picture. Jesus said with, with very clearly that, that He had come in the flesh and that His flesh was going to be, you know, as at the Last Supper, He used the bread to be the symbol of His flesh that was going to be put to the cross. And it was all for us. And He asked us as often as we would eat this bread that was that was broken for us. He broke it right there at the table, gave thanks, and gave it to the disciples. He asked them, as often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And we do that still today. And not only the bread that Christ came in the flesh goes to the cross, but He made it very clear this is the, the cup that uh, at the meal that he took up, he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Very significant to the Hebrew mind and thought. The life is in the blood. The blood is poured out, so is the life. They understood that very clearly. Jesus was going to die on the cross. And he said, this is for you, and I want you to share this cup together until I come again. And again, he asked, as often as we would do this, we do it in remembrance of him.
Father, again, we thank You to know the God of all creation as our Savior because You have saved us. Thank You. We come with confidence knowing Christ is our Savior to, to ask for Your mercy and Your grace. We also join in prayers all through Scripture of, of the desire to have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul prays that over and over again for various churches. We need that, Lord. We want You to be the source of our thinking, the way we live our lives, uh, the way we treat each other, the way we treat our families, the way we, we, we treat those around us and at work and play and any place else that we are. That we might be a testimony to the awesomeness that in that sense of a new song that you have put in us, it's because of redemption, because you bought us, because you've pulled us out of the pit of destruction. And we, we, we just say, thank you, thank you, thank you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close? Uh, we have some refreshments in the back if you have a few minutes to, to uh, uh, stay in, in fellowship for a little while. And uh, again, Lord bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. A thousand tongues to speak my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His praise. My gracious Master and my God assist me to proclaim, to spread to all the earth above the honors of Lord bless.